Father, we do thank you for the comfort that your word brings, the truth, the light, the strength, Lord, the everything that we need spiritually, we find it, Lord, in your word. It's like nourishment to the soul. It really is something, God, that that without, we would really be lost and without hope tonight. But, Lord, we have answers to so many questions that are here, and we have such a sure foundation, Lord, on which to build our lives. And, Father, in days like this, I believe that is a great, great thing to have. And so I ask that you would speak to us tonight. Lord, continue to strengthen us, continue to show us and reveal things to us. Even out of the book of Revelation, Lord, as you speak through the Apostle John about future things, May these things comfort our hearts tonight, and may we be strengthened. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them up tonight with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 10. We'll be looking at uh, the entire chapter tonight. It's not a long chapter, only 11 verses, so we should be able to cover that. Let me just uh, kind of give you a quick recap and kind of bring you up to speed where we are in the book of Revelation. We are in the section of the book of Revelation where the Apostle John is writing about those things that are yet to come. He's written those about the things that he saw concerning the vision of Christ. He's written about the things that are, which was the letter to the churches. And now we find ourselves in the section where he is writing about those things yet to come. We believe that these passages that we are studying now and through the rest of the book are future and speak of the future time when the Lord will... Uh, return to the earth and set up an earthly millennial kingdom. We'll get into more of that detail as we go, but we find ourselves here in a time where we believe is a time of, Jesus called it, a great tribulation, a time upon the earth which had never been seen since, never shall there be again. So this is a time of great, great trial upon the earth. We believe that the church has already been taken, come and taken by Christ, changed in a moment, caught up in the air with the Lord, ever being with the Lord. But those that remain will go through this time. We've already done some background on this. We won't go into it in detail tonight, but taking out of Daniel chapter 9, those seven weeks, of seven. there's one week yet that remains to be fulfilled, one last seven-year period where we believe God is going to then begin once again to really deal with the nation of Israel. But also it's a time of pouring out judgments upon the earth. So we've been reading about those judgments, haven't we? Oh, I'll tell you, after the end of last week, I was like, Lord, we're only two-thirds of the way through and yet more judgments still to come. We've gone through the seven seals. We are now into the seven trumpets. And then, of course, will come the seven bowls. We haven't looked at that yet. But just as we found in chapter 7, there was an interlude between the seventh seal or between the sixth seal and the seventh seal. And so here tonight, chapter 10 and in through a good portion of chapter 11, there is another interlude. We have just finished the sixth trumpet. You remember that. We looked at that last week out of Revelation 9. And now before the seventh trumpet is sounded, uh, John sees something of kind of this little parenthesis, this little break from the judgments and something else is revealed to him. And I do believe that the Lord uses these interludes to kind of help fill in some of the 
the idea of what else is going on or what spiritually is happening. You remember last time in, in chapter 7, he talked about that sealing and saving of the 144,000 and then the innumerable multitude that were saved and brought up to the Lord and the martyrs that were saved. So God, even in the midst of judgment, takes a break to let us know that there are still many being saved and there's still quite a bit of good things going on, even in the midst of great, great trouble. And so tonight we find ourselves here seeing a little bit of what else is going on. You know, it almost become discouraging if you just read judgment after judgment after judgment. I mean, my goodness, Lord, when will it end? And and Lord, what, what, are, what are you really doing? It's just this pouring out of wrath. Well, tonight we see a little bit, I think, uh, in chapter 10, a little bit of what the Lord is up to in this last work of the tribulation and these, these judgments that he's pouring out. And he reminds us that this is really about bringing in the new kingdom. This is about bringing an end to the things that we know and bringing a new beginning and that's a, that's a good reminder. It's as if the Lord has to purge out the old in order to bring in the new. And with that in mind, I'd like us to go ahead and start our study. We'll look through list, uh, the first four verses, and we see here uh, a mighty angel. I saw still another mighty angel, another mighty angel. Now, this is another angel, not one of the seven holding the trumpets. Another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. When he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. Now when the seven thunders uttered their voices, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered, and do not write them. John is in the midst of seeing this outpouring of, of judgments, and then there is a break, the trumpets have stopped, and he sees this mighty angel coming down. A number of different ideas as to who this mighty angel might be. If you take a look at the description, it really reads a lot like the description of Jesus Christ in the first chapter of Revelation. The eyes of fire, remember the the feet of like bronze of fire, and we see this same kind of imagery here. And of course, the word angel simply means messenger. It's not describing a race, but rather a purpose. And it could be that this is the Lord Jesus coming down as a messenger. God's bringing this final message before the seventh trumpet sounds. Some have thought, well, maybe it's the, the, the archangel Michael. We can't be sure. But one thing we can be sure is that this angel is a mighty angel And it may very well be the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's come to make this declaration over the earth. He's clothed with a cloud. The Bible talks about Jesus who will come in a cloud with power and great glory. There's a rainbow upon his head. You remember there was a rainbow over the altar, excuse me, over the throne back in the earlier chapters, and that rainbow signifying the covenant of mercy. Even though God is pouring out wrath, there is still mercy that he has made covenant with the earth. His face is like the sun, feet like fire, very, very similar. But he has also this uh, little book in his hand, but it's open. And I think that this little book simply represents that seal that was opened. This may be a symbolic representation of it, but 
the seals that were open, you remember the seal was sealed with seven seals and there was this cry in heaven, who is worthy to open the seal? No one could open this seal. But Jesus, the lamb, he came, he alone was worthy to open the seal. Now this mighty angel comes and he has this book in his hand and it's opened. And we've talked about what that seal represented. We know that it began the, the description of the judgments, but we also know that, that it, it's something of the title deed to the earth or, or something of the, the completion of God's redemptive plan for man and the earth. And that God's plan could not con- complete without the f- completion of this, this seal being opened and these, these things that were recorded there being fulfilled. Well, the book is now opened and these things are being fulfilled and this angel may very well be Jesus coming and making this declaration. And what does it mean to, you know, talk about the idea of a title deed to the earth? Uh, if you remember, God originally created the heavens and the earth back in the book of Genesis. And he gave man authority over the earth. Do you remember that? In the garden, name the animals. Man was really given the trustee of the earth. But man, through sin and falling in the garden, what happened? He lost title to the earth to who? To Satan, the serpent who deceived him. And throughout the scriptures, Satan is referenced as someone who is the, the prince of this world. He now kind of has dominion in the world. In fact, you may remember when the devil came to tempt Jesus, one of the temptations was that he took him up on a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. He wanted Jesus to bow down and worship him. Jesus rebuked him and said, you know, only God is to be worshiped. But Jesus did not dispute Satan's claim to these to the kingdoms. Jesus did not say, oh, you're lying. You don't have any authority here. No, he recognized that Satan, in fact, did have authority over the earth. But Jesus, through his work on the cross, has broken that power and has broken that authority. And we are now in this kind of time in which we are waiting for Jesus to come and claim what is his. He's not yet here ruling the earth, is he? He lives in the heart of his people. His kingdom is alive in the midst of the church, but his kingdom has definitely not come to the earth. I mean, you don't have to look very far in the news or in, you know, just, you know, on the freeways to to see that Jesus is not reigning everywhere on the earth. No, we see uh, there is still evil alert and still much going on that is under the influence of Satan, but... What Christ did at the cross actually purchased back and redeemed back those things that were lost, redeeming both man and the earth back unto the Lord. But he is waiting. Remember the pro- that uh, the Hebrew writer uh, in Hebrews said, quoted this passage about, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So there's this time of waiting. And we know that that waiting, according to Peter, is God really extending mercy. Why does he wait? Why doesn't he come back now and take claim to what is his? Because he's waiting mercifully to give all opportunity to come to salvation. So he waits patiently for the, for the souls of the lost to hear the gospel, to come to repentance. So that they do not, being part of the church, we do not have to endure the tribulation, not only that, but the judgment that will follow. 
So this is a little bit of what, what's going on. And Jesus is showing John that he, he comes down and kind of like, you know, puts his one foot on the sea and one foot on the earth and roars like a lion. As You know, I just I have a picture of like like an athlete, you know, who's just come and and, and victorious, you know, and just stakes his claim. Yes. You know, it's it's here. It's arrived. The time is now. And I've come to take what I purchased at Calvary and at the resurrection. And yet he waits today. He's sitting at the right hand, waiting till the father makes his enemies for his footstool. But now he comes and declares these things upon the earth. Many, as I mentioned, many verses refer to Satan. John refers to him as the ruler of this world. Ephesians talks about us not warring against flesh and blood, but against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Hold your place there in Revelation. We'll be back. But turn to Romans 8. There's a little passage there that talks a little bit about this idea that all of the earth is waiting to be redeemed. Even though the redemption, the work of redemption is completed, the claiming of it has not yet happened. Romans 8 and verse 18. Romans 8, verse 18. The Apostle Paul talking about the sufferings of this present age. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory of which shall be revealed in us. Now talking about that coming glory. Verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. You see, even creation is waiting for something. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Paul talking about these present sufferings. And this is this is what he did in his own mind to kind of endure those sufferings. He said these present sufferings, if I just focused on them, I'd probably be overwhelmed. But they're not worthy to be compared to what I know is coming. And we are eagerly waiting for that day when the Lord will come and declare it is finished and re re take his claim upon the earth. And Paul points out all of creation is waiting. Even creation itself is not as God would ult- has ultimately designed it. You know those passages, I think they're in the book of Isaiah, talking about you know, even the natural order of the animals will change when Christ comes and establishes his kingdom. The wolf and the lamb will lie down together. The, the, the lion will eat grass like you know, straw with the cattle. The the children will play next to the viper's hole and never be bit or stung. All of creation is going to change. What we see today is this this earth in subjection waiting for the Redeemer to come and reestablish his kingdom, a kingdom of peace and righteousness, truth and light and life and love. And we look forward to that. And Paul was saying, 
Not only do we, but all the creation is waiting for that day. This back to Revelation chapter 10. I believe this is a picture of Jesus coming and declaring that day, or at the very least, a mighty angel on behalf of the Lord declaring this victory. And he roars like a lion, a lion's roar. We know Jesus to be known as the Lion of Judah. The prophet Amos said, a lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? And Joel 3.16, the Lord also will roar from Zion and his and utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake, but the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So this this angel or Jesus himself comes and roars and declares this victory. But when he roars also, we notice that there is the voice of thunder. And John, just before he writes down, apparently this thunder was communicating. This thunder was a voice. And John, getting ready to write it down, is forbidden to write down what he hears the thunders declare. It kind of begs the question, why, you know, why that? Why that in exchange, you know, why, why did John hear that about, but not supposed to write it? He was instructed to write everything that he saw and heard, but not this event. So you kind of wonder, well, why did John see it? If he could never tell anybody about it, why show him? And, and if, he, and if it was just for him, then why did we have, why did you have him write it here? So we would all wonder what it said, right? Why, God could have just kept that silent. We could have just done without that passage and been fine. But now we wonder, what was said by the thunders? I think God wants us to understand that there is something of a mystery concerning prophetic things in the future. Almost as if God is saying, listen, I I will show you much, but I won't show you everything. Prophecy is not given so that you and I can be future tellers. So that we can, you know, predict and know all the details. Prophecy is given to encourage our hearts that God is in control of all things. Even before they happen, he has seen them. So that when they begin to happen, our hearts know this is what our God said would come to pass. But not that we can know every detail. And I think that the Lord is is just reminding us, listen, there are some things about what I have planned that I've not yet revealed to you. There are some things that you will not know until that day arrives. Isn't that true in other passages of Scripture? Paul, Paul heard some things. He, he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. The Apostle Paul letting us know that there are things not yet revealed. Daniel, when he saw some of his vision, the angel said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. I think God is keeping some things back for himself, that he would bless us with that knowledge when that time comes. You remember the, uh, you remember John? He said, It does not yet appear what we shall be, but when that day we will see him face to face. There is more to learn, more to know. That God has not yet shown us, even though this book of Revelation is giving a lot of great detail, there are still things that will be revealed when the Lord establishes the time for them. Let's read on. Let's consider what else is happening here in this chapter. Look with me in verses 5 through 7. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, 
who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer. But in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, when he is about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished, and he declared to his servant, as he declared to his servants, the prophets. We see this angel, we see him coming and staking the, the earth and making a roar of a lion, and now we see him raise his hand and he swears by him who is eternal. He, he, he declares an oath. You remember that in the Old Testament there were times when God made an oath. And the writer of Hebrews points it out that saying, you know, God could swear by no one higher than himself, so he swore by himself. I swear by myself that, you know, we say, well, I swear to God, I swear before the Lord, you know, to really kind of give a truth or real, you know, unction to the oath. But God having no no one higher than to, to give an oath could could really only swear unto himself by his own his own character. And there's something going on here. There's something that I believe is, is revealed about just how sure this is. It does remind me of that passage in Hebrews. Let me read that quickly to you in Hebrews six seventeen. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, listen, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. Why the oath? The writer of Hebrews tells us why. So that it, it would be just, it would be enough for God to say, no more delay, because it's impossible for him to, delight, to lie. That's one immutable thing. But that he would even give an oath. He's trying to emphasize that this is, is absolutely sure. Not that he needs to give an oath, his word is good, but that we would understand the, the sureness of the things that he is saying. Listen, these things are going to come to pass the prophecies concerning the end times are going to be fulfilled. Every single word and letter. Everything that God has declared through the prophets, that's what he's saying. All the mysteries, all the things that we don't understand that were spoken through the prophets, every single one is going to be fulfilled. And this should give us a confidence tonight that our God's word is true. This is not, you know, this is not uh, fiction. This is not some, you know, make believe. I wonder if this, these things, these, this is the word of God. This is as sure as it's more sure than anything else in your life. These things that God has declared. And he says, no more delay. Don't you wonder? It's been so long. I mean, Christ made promise of return 2,000 years ago. Here we are. It seems like everything's just going along as it always has. Oh, how many people before us thought for sure they were living in the last days. I think we're living in the last days, don't you? There's generations before us. I remember I had a college professor. He went on to get a Ph.D. and a, and a doctorate. 
And he was telling me his testimony one night. He said, yeah, well, you know, I was in college and studying, and then I thought the Lord was going to return, so I dropped out of school and went out to preach the gospel. <laughs> and he says, and then the Lord didn't return, so I had to go back to school and kind of got my, went on to get my doctorate. It took me a little longer because I had a little, a little break there, thinking the Lord was on his way. And, you know, it's not uncommon for every generation to think that. And, and here's, here's the deception or the, that lie that can creep in. It's never going to happen. You Christians, you guys, you know, yeah, Jesus is going to come in the clouds. I know. I've heard your story. Things are going to keep going the way they've always gone. Things are going to continue the way they always have. And, you know, if you look at history, it's pretty hard to make an argument that seems like that's true. But Jesus is declaring here in the word of God, I'm swearing by an oath. There's coming a day when there will be no more delay. And the things that were promised are going to come. And the end is going to be upon them. And the judgments are going to be sure. They're going to be set. And the promise of eternity, those things that we hope for, those things that we're, we're waiting for, they're going to be reality. You're going to see him face to face. You're going to be with him for eternity. You're going to be in that worship group that's worshiping the Lord with a loud voice and thousands upon thousands. You're going to be there. It's coming. You're going to see these things. And Jesus is declaring it here with an oath that you would not doubt his word. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, look, let's look. Let's finish up the chapter, verses 8 through 11. John eats the little book. Kind of strange, huh? That little book. Here, eat this. <laughs> Verse 8, Then the voice which I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it. And it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, tongues, and kings. What is this imagery telling us? What's happening with this little book representing the, the word of God? He's encouraged to eat it. We've seen this imagery before. Ezekiel had this same type of experience. The idea here is that the word of God would actually become a part of you. Take this, eat it, consume it. Remember Jesus at the Last Supper? This is my body broken for you. Take it, eat it. That it would actually become a part of who you are. That's the idea. Don't Not, not to just read it. Of course, that's... I'm not recommending any eating tonight of your Bibles, but spiritually, this is how you devour the word of God. You read it and you, you let it go down into your spirit. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. 
God's word is a nourishment. It is spiritual food to the spiritual man or woman. And so John is encouraged, take this, eat it, that it would go down within you and become a part of you. And this is what God would encourage us. to. Paul writing to Timothy, study to show yourself approved so that you can accurately divide the word of truth. Take pains with these things. Read, study, get into the word, devour it. You've, you've heard that kind of language. Man, he's just that guy's just consumed. He's devouring the scriptures. He's not over there eating the pages. He's over there reading it. He's getting into it. He's searching the scriptures. And this is the, I think this is the communication here through this imagery. John, this needs to become a part of you because you're going to be proclaiming it. You're going to have to prophesy with these words still. But it's going to be both sweet and bitter. Well, that's just, that, that describes the Word of God, doesn't it? There are parts of the Word of God that are sweet, like honey. There are parts of the Word of God that are like a sword, like a dagger. Haven't you experienced both sweet and bitter in your study of God's Word? You read an encouraging promise. Oh, I like that one. That's sweet as honey. Then you read a kind of a little exhortation and it convicts you about something that's going on in your life. Oh, that's bitter. <laughs> that one hurt, Lord. Ouch. I mean, I actually said that out loud. Oh, Lord, that's me. That's my, that's my problem right there. The Word of God, it, it cuts right into the heart of the matter. Sweet and bitter at the same time. The Word of God is both life, but is also a sword. Paul talks about this. You may remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, talking about our lives being a fragrance of Christ. He said, For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. So your life is, you know, putting off, if you're a Christian and you're living for the Lord, your life is putting off an aroma, both to, the, to believers and to those that are not believers. He goes on to describe it. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. And to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. Your life as you live it for the Lord, to those that don't love the Lord, to those that reject the Lord and his word, guess what your life is like? Guess what, guess what that aroma is to them? They don't like it. They find it to be an aroma of death. They're reminded of that they're not right with God. But to those that are, love the Lord and they see you living for the Lord, oh, that's, it's an encouragement to their spiritual life. It's the same idea here, this word being both bitter and sweet. To some bitter, to some sweet, different portions of God's word minister in different ways. And finally, John is encouraged, you must Listen, verse 11, you must prophesy again. The purpose for eating the book is that you must declare it. The reason that we partake of God's word and his truth is that we would declare it until he comes. Declare it in the way that we live, the way that we allow it to change our life. Declare it in the words that we would share. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach this gospel, this good news that you would share and give witness to those things that have become real in your own life. 
beautiful passage and encouragement to us tonight. I just want to close by, again, just kind of reviewing and highlighting the themes that I'd like your heart to go home with tonight. What I see is this angel, may very well be Christ himself, coming and declaring his claim to the earth, his, his oath that these things are sure. And what I, it just reminds me that, you know what? God is in control. He has the last word. That roar of the lion, that's the sound of victory. That's the sound of the Savior saying, I've, I'm in charge. And I don't know about you, but I need that assurance every now and then. Man, it seems like things are out of control. And I need to be reminded, listen, God's in control. What's going on in our culture? What's going on in the world today? What's going on in, in just in the financial world? What's going on with real estate? My goodness, I, I've grown up my whole life knowing that buying real estate was a smart thing to do. And I'm not a young kid anymore. And now I realize that's, I guess that doesn't always hold true. Things that we thought, what's happening? Things are just seemingly upside down. Things seem to be out of control. But God would assure us tonight, church, I've got everything in control. Everything is according to my will, my purpose. There is nothing apart from what I have foreseen, what I have promised. And you are in my hand. You are safe. You are secure tonight. Your hope is real. It is sure. It's an anchor. God is in control. He will bring redemption. He is the victorious one. These things will come to pass. God's in control, secondly. and I've already hit it, but just reminding, these things are going to come to pass. God may delay for reasons of mercy. Thank God. Aren't you glad he waited for you to come to the Lord? But... They will not, he will not wait forever. Church, these things are going to happen. You're going to see them. You're going to see them with your eyes. You're going to behold these things that we, that we sing about, that we read about. They're going to come to pass. And I would encourage you tonight, my final exhortation out of this passage, that you would eat this little book and prophesy. Eat, devour what God has given you and proclaim it. Put it into your heart. Hide it in your heart. Renew your mind with it. When, you're li- when you lie down on your pillow at night, put it, may, may it be the last thing you think of when you get up and have that first cup of coffee in the morning, before you turn the TV on, before you get the news going, before you get your head filled with everything else, put the Word of God in there. Devour the, these words. Let God's word become a part of you and then go out and declare it to be true. Proclaim it. Prophesy. People are looking for an answer. People are looking for an anchor. You've got one. The hope and promise of Jesus Christ and all that his word declares. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for this encouraging chapter. Lord, when we read about the judgments to come, our hearts are almost, Lord, for myself, almost overwhelmed. 
almost that feeling of, my goodness, Lord, it's going to be, it's going to be terrible. But I'm reminded tonight, thank you, Lord, for chapter 10, that, that this is all but a short period of time and preparing for the eternal time of the kingdom that you have promised. And Lord, I do thank you. And I want to, I want to be like the Apostle Paul, who would say that, that the present sufferings that we endure, that they are not worthy to be compared to the future glory of your kingdom. Lord, for those that have put their faith in Christ, our destiny is sure. We're going to be saved. We are saved. Our sins are forgiven tonight. We have access to the very throne room of heaven. We can come and make requests of you. We can cast our cares upon you because you care for us. Lord, great help even today through the, the person of the Holy Spirit who, who comes alive in our hearts and minds. But not only that, Lord, we have this, this long-term assurance that eternity is in your hand. And it's going to be good. It's going to be beautiful. We're going to see, Lord, what you originally intended creation to look like. Lord, I'm amazed even today at creation. I'm amazed at the beauty of the things that you've made. And yet this is an earth that is subjected in hope, waiting for the fuller expression of your glory. God, may our hearts be strengthened with these things tonight. May we go home with this vision in our heart and the assurance that they are true. And Lord, just as we close, and before we close with the song of worship, and our hearts and heads are still bowed, I do want to give an opportunity, if there's anyone here tonight, that you need to come to the Lord. Maybe you don't have that assurance tonight. Maybe you've never really come to the Lord and embraced Jesus as Savior. Or maybe you're here tonight and you need to come back to the Lord. We call it rededicating your life to the Lord. You get the idea. Maybe you've been distant in your walk. You've not really been close to the Lord. And you know in your own heart, the Holy Spirit speaking to you tonight, that you need to come back and reestablish and really rededicate your heart to Him. I would love to pray for you tonight if that describes you. If you're here tonight and you need to invite the Lord into your life for the first time or you need to rededicate yourself to Him afresh, would you raise your hand so that I can see you where you are tonight so that I can pray for you? Anybody here tonight? You want these things, these hopes, these anchors, you want them to be yours for sure. God bless you. Here on my right. Anyone else? Anyone else besides this one individual? Lord, we do thank you. The Bible says that when even one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices. You are a God of all creation, but you are also a God of the individual. So personal, so intimate. You know even the number of hairs upon our head. Lord, I pray that you would comfort this young man who has raised his hand looking to reestablish himself with you. I pray that you would cleanse him and forgive him of his sin. And I pray that you would speak to his heart 
and let him know, Lord, the purpose and the plan that you have for him. Begin to reveal something of of your desire for his life, that it's better than what he's walking in, that it's more than what he's tasted, tasted so far. And God, I pray that he would come to you in sincerity and allow you to cleanse him and to renew him and to change him by the power of your Holy Spirit. And for us all, Lord, may our hearts be lifted tonight. We serve a God with whom it is impossible to lie. Your words are true and sure. They give us the anchor for these troubled times. Thank you, Lord.